Thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning, and as you take a seat, as you get comfortable, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Uh, If you haven't gotten yourself some coffee, you should. Uh, I hope it'll be a good one today. We're going to look at a lot of content. Um, I like doing that. Okay, so my, my, my mind's been a little cloudy all morning, so I might stop abruptly just to kind of recap where I was going, and then I'll keep moving forward. And so uh, should you think, what's the matter with him? I'm, I'm just tired, um, but I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, nevertheless, if you find yourself here and you're new, uh, on, the, on the chairs, there should be some connect cards. Man, fill one out, drop them in the offering basket, and uh, we'd love to hang out with you. Um, so, so drop those in there should you get a chance to. Uh, we're in a sermon series called The Beatitudes. We started this sermon series a couple of weeks ago. We've taken a break from uh, our time in the book of Philippians to dive into this summer series, this uh, a brief summer series titled The Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are about eight statements made from Jesus based on the character of his followers. And they are the beginning of what is a really big sermon. Uh, that sermon is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. As we look at the Beatitudes, we're really just taking the first 12 verses of chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open or load them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 7. So as you hunt that down, I'll ramble a little bit before we dive into inevitably our time. One thing I would like to do is kind of give you a recap of uh, the Beatitudes in the sense of their importance, or for the sake of their importance. See, when we walk through the Beatitudes, man, it's, they've been incredibly humbling, and, and I've loved this series. But one of the things I'd also like to dive into, as I mentioned, is, is really just uh, recapping the importance of the Beatitudes. I think very quickly we can fall into a sense of morality when it comes to the Beatitudes, and that's not necessarily their purpose. Um, we could also single out a few people within the church, and I mean that in the in the big sense, right? The big the big chi, we, we big 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 C, where we could single out people, and so that's not necessarily what I mean. But let's let's dive into four things, uh, four reminders of the importance of the Beatitudes. The first one is that the Beatitudes uh, are for all Christians. Now I've talked about this at length and in depth on the first sermon. That's when we walked through verses one through three. If you'd like to check out that sermon, it's online. Go for it. But number one of the reminders uh, is that the Beatitudes are for all Christians. You see, when we walk through the Beatitudes, again, you might feel a sense of moral obligation uh, or even a high sense of morality that comes with the Beatitudes in the sense that, man, I've, I've, I've obtained this. Now, on the other side of that, some of you may feel like, man, I cannot obtain this. Therefore, these statements, these Beatitudes must be for an elite group of Christians, people who really do get this and really do understand this, and maybe this super select few of God's chosen. I just want to put that out on the table, that these Beatitudes are for all Christians. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then this is for you. Number two, 
These are to be the characteristics of all Christians. In other words, when we walk through these Beatitudes, or as we've been walking through, through these Beatitudes, one of the other tendencies that you and I might have when we read through them is that we may begin to pick and choose which one we may be and which ones we're simply not. And that might be as far as we go. Like, man, I understand that I think I could be poor in spirit, but I'm definitely not meek. And it's not the kind of uh, humility that says, oh, this is something I need to grow in. This is you uh, kind of recognizing that's not who I am at all. I want to remind you that in the midst of these characteristics, these characteristics apply to all Christians. These are for all Christians, and Christians must demonstrate all of these characteristics. Now, because of our fallen nature, each one of us might have a different degree concerning the Beatitudes. Some of you some of you are way more meek than I ever could be, right? And you guys are awesome, and that's why God loves you more. And so when it comes to that, like there's just going to be these varying degrees uh, because of our fallen nature and the conditions of our heart. And so I totally get that. We might have varying degrees, but nevertheless, these characteristics, are, all of these characteristics are to be displayed by all Christians. Number three, none of these come naturally because all of us are going to struggle in each one of these beatitudes. Let it be known we are all, or excuse me, let it be known that all of these characteristics, all of these beatitudes will not come naturally to you. Especially the one that we're going to be looking at today. As we dive into our time, we're going to be like, this is totally not me. Exactly. These beatitudes are are made possible through the dwelling, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So you're right. None of these things are going to come natural to you. You're going to feel like you're not the greatest at that. That's really good, okay? You're working on your meekness. Congratulations, right? None of these are going to come naturally to us. And finally, number four, that these Beatitudes, they point us to Jesus. Now, I want to expand on that a little bit because I think we could say that about everything uh, God has for us in his word, that ultimately it points us to Jesus. But with respect to the Beatitudes specifically, when Jesus is teaching uh, the Sermon on the Mount or he's walking through the Beatitudes, excuse me, and he's, and he's teaching to his disciples and to us now through his word, ultimately what he is doing is he is holding up a mirror before us. He's holding up a mirror in front of us, I should say. He's holding up this mirror to show us that this is who we are apart, this is who we're not apart from him. And so that tells us a lot. It tells us our need for a savior it tells us our need for Jesus and our need for grace. So it isn't just this pointing to Jesus and try to figure it out after that. He is saying this, these things that you struggle with, that you even find yourself not doing, are meant to draw you to myself so that my spirit could be at work in you. In you and through you. So those are four brief reminders of the importance of the Beatitudes. And we can list way more, but we're not going to right now. So that they're for all Christians, they're characteristics of all Christians, they don't come naturally, and that they point us to Jesus. You see, as we've walked through the Beatitude, each one deals with the condition of our heart. 
with each one becoming more humbling than the next and progressively more difficult than the next. Which brings us to our verse for today. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. I'll read it and I'll pray and then we'll dive into our time. This is what Jesus says. He said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word um, and your Holy Spirit. And in that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be at work um, in the hearts and minds of those who are here. Those who know you and those who don't know you yet. I pray that through your word, you would convict us, that you would compel us to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to repent of our sin and ultimately submit ourselves to him so that that he would receive glory and that we would be transformed. We thank you for this time and we thank you for the Beatitudes. Pray that this would bring you glory, this time would bring you glory. It's in your name that we pray, amen. All right, here we go. The first thing that we're going to talk about is the implication of mercy. I think we can talk about several things, but I think we're going to start with the implication of mercy. And what I mean by talking about, or what I mean by the implication of mercy, I mean that we need to break it down a little bit. I think sometimes we can have some misconceptions of what it means to be merciful um, and what it means for mercy to look like. And so we'll walk through some of those scenarios in our time. Additionally, one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm only going to talk about one or two things concerning uh, mercy because I want to hammer in a few points specifically to our church and our context. So when we talk about the implication of mercy and when we talk about the application of mercy, here's what I want you to know right off the bat. I'm speaking to you as the individual. One of the things that I was challenged with as I prepped for this, uh, this teaching, this sermon, one of the things that I suspect that you may be challenged with is that as we begin to walk through the teaching of what it means to be merciful, you're immediately going to think about someone who doesn't deserve it. Uh, you're immediately going to think about someone who maybe has sinned against you. Uh, you're immediately going to think about someone who probably should be merciful. And all of those things are probably true, but we're not talking about them, and I don't know that situation or those people. And so we're just going to address you, the individual. Again, because very quickly you'll want to step outside and say, well, you don't know his story. You don't know what they've done to me. And you're right, I don't, which is why I'm just talking to you. So keep that at the forefront of your mind. What I want to start with is really walking through what doesn't being merciful mean. Before we talk about what it is, let's talk about what it isn't, right? What doesn't being merciful mean? Well, it doesn't mean two things. It doesn't mean easygoing, and it doesn't mean passive. Here's what I mean by easygoing. Easygoing means that anything flies. Man, you have no conviction about anything, uh, whether it's uh, man betraying, sinning other people, breaking the law, whatever your thing is. Man, you're just free-minded. Just go. It does not mean that, right? Merciful doesn't mean to be free-minded. Merciful does not mean to just let it slide and let it go. Merciful does not imply any of that. But in addition to that, merciful, uh, yeah, being merciful doesn't imply being passive. And I think this is probably where I'll spend a little bit more time because this is where I think we begin to misinterpret uh, being merciful. 
And what I mean in the sense that we're passive, it's that we forgive others, which is a good thing, but your motivation behind forgiving others isn't gospel-centered. It's self-centered. Your motivation behind forgiving others is so that you don't have to deal with them anymore. Your motivation behind forgiving others could be because you don't like confrontation. Your motivation behind forgiving others could be because you don't want to see how much further this can go. You don't want any limits pushed, all this kind of things. The thing is that it deals with you at the heart and not the gospel. So your motivations aren't gospel-centered. So those are two things that being merciful is not. It's not being easygoing, in other words, free-minded and just letting everything go for the sake of it going. Uh, But it also doesn't mean being passive, especially in the context of having uh, motivations that are not centered upon the gospel. Additionally, sometimes when you do forgive someone else, your motivation might first be justice and still not the gospel. And one of the things that you're going to notice as we walk through blessed are those who are merciful, as we walk through this time in teaching of being merciful is we're not going to talk about justice. And you'll see why in just a minute. But I think, like me, some of you may immediately go to that. You might forgive them, but you're still holding on to justice. And lead, I remind you, that is still our grab for a center of attention rather than attention of of the gospel. Right? So if that's what it doesn't mean, what, what does it mean to be merciful then? Well, here's what I would submit to you before we go there. Whatever the definition of being merciful is, it must be something God is. Right, Because these are characteristics of who God is. So whatever we say being merciful is, or whatever we define merciful as, must be something that God is. So immediately that should challenge us because we want to throw our own flair. And if you want to throw your own flair concerning something that God isn't, it's because you're being self-centered rather than gospel-centered. All right? Now I'm not saying you're doing that, but that would be a tendency. Whatever we say merciful is must be something that God is. And so I'll give you one word and then I'll expand on it. What does being merciful mean? It means godliness. That's what being merciful means. It means godliness. Now, we can unpack the word godliness a a lot in our time. And and again, we're not going to do that. But we are going to look at two specific areas concerning godliness. We're going to look at grace and repentance. Now, when it comes to repentance, and I won't spend time here yet, but when it comes to repentance, I could have come in a different way. I could have said forgiveness, right? Grace and forgiveness. But I think repentance teaches a little bit more on that for our time. So let's talk about grace. That if we're going to be merciful, if we're going to demonstrate godliness, then we must have an understanding of what grace is right? We can say a lot about grace. We can say that grace, and these are true, we can say that grace is undeserving favor from God. That there is nothing that we have done, no merit that we have obtained in order to receive his favor. It is unmerited favor to the believer, right? Additionally, we could also say when we compare mercy and grace, we could say that mercy 
is not receiving what we deserve, and grace is receiving what we don't deserve. It's another way of distinguishing the two. You see, the beauty about grace is that grace meets the sinner in their sin. Grace meets the sinner in their sin. And what better way to demonstrate grace than for God to send His Son into human history and die on a cross for sinners, meeting them in their sin. So we must have a firm understanding of that grace. The second thing is repentance. We need to know what repentance is. So so practically speaking, we can say this about repentance, that the, the root words for the word repent means change of mind. So it is a changing. We are taking our eyes off of our sin and fixing our eyes upon Jesus and his word and promises. It is a changing of our mind. Additionally, that's because that's the practical side of it. When we look at just the implication of repentance, when we are in a state of repentance, we recognize that we deserve nothing but punishment, but we have been forgiven by God's mercy and grace. You recognize forgiveness in repentance. So, In order to truly be forgiven, we must be repentant. We must be repentant. That puts a little bit more skin on the game than just saying, I forgive you and moving on and having poor motivation. Repentance places us in a a scenario where we recognize our position before God. Where we recognize our position before God and we recognize that we have nothing, that we deserve nothing, and yet in His mercy and in His grace, He has forgiven us. That's why there was a spin. Instead of just saying forgiveness, a little bit of a deeper way of going is repentance. For us to be truly forgiven means for us to be repentant. That's one thing, right? To be merciful means godliness. The next thing is, and this is more of a practical outworking. So one is an understanding when we're talking about godliness. The next one is an outworking of it. What does it mean to be merciful? It means demonstrating compassion and a desire to relieve others of their suffering. See, when it comes to being merciful, there's a paradox. When it comes to being merciful, there are two things that should be at the core of our hearts. There should be compassion and there should be sorrow. There should be sorrow because the sin of others breaks us. Not because we're better, but because we're actually worse. That's the sorrowful part. But then the compassion in us compels us to actually act upon our mercy, forgiving others and removing their transgression. Mercy always involves action. Mercy always involves action. action. And so if we lack mercy, then we lack 
and understanding of the grace of God and forgiveness. Say it one more time. If you lack mercy, then you lack an understanding of the grace of God and forgiveness. That's the bottom line. And so those are the implications of being merciful. Let's look at the application of being merciful. Remember, I'm just going to remind you before I take my swig of coffee, talking to the individual. Because now we're getting into application. Some of you love practical stuff. Man, just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to do it. And we might go through that and you'll be like, yeah, you're right. My wife does need to do that. No, I'm talking to you. Okay? Just putting that in in the forefront. Right? Or I know someone else who could really use this sermon. No, it's you. You're, you're the one. So the application of mercy. We're going to talk about two things specifically when it comes to the application of mercy. Now, we can talk about an array of other things. Right? And we're not going to do that just for the sake of time. We're only going to talk about two areas. And I'll give you those two areas and I'll expand on them. The first one, and I, and I will say this. These are hard. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to join you in the trenches, man, because I get it. I get it. I am the justice guy, right? I, like, have a decent memory, and I love to write everything down, and I'll walk through why I got to this place and what led me to get to this place, and I just want justice to prevail, and really, I just, that, for me, all that means is that I just want that individual or, or, or whatever the situation is, I want, them, I want their spirits crushed. That's all it means when we're saying, man, I, I want justice, but we paint it with Christianese, right? We paint it with Christianese because you got a Bible in one hand and you wrote some stuff down in the other, right? But at the end of the day, man, we just really want their spirits crushed. All right, glad we're all on the same page. Here we go. So the application of mercy, here are two areas. And remember, I keep on saying remember because I want to I prep you, right? Uh, the application of mercy, I'm speaking specifically to you, Storehouse. This is me in there with you. This is where I recognize we could really grow in, I think. I think. <clears throat> Number one, being merciful toward the offenses of others. Everybody's already like sitting up straight. He's not talking to me. Number two, being merciful in our reproval of others. Now I'll expand on all of these. Number one, so being merciful toward the offenses of others. You kind of knew this one was coming. Right? You kind of knew that, okay, being merciful means that I need to forgive. Right? But remember, there is a deeper understanding of what that means because we just talked about grace and repentance. So we can't just throw it out like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to be merciful. If that is your approach, if that is your motivation, if that is where your heart is at, then you lack an understanding of grace and repentance. We can't walk into this application with a poor understanding of grace and repentance. If so, now I'll tell you about that later, right? Merciful toward the offenses of others. If we have an understanding of mercy, there should be no pride in us. Still dealing with the individual. I'm not talking or addressing someone who sinned against you or any of that stuff. I'm talking to you as the individual. If you have an understanding of mercy, there should be no pride left in you. You should not be vindictive and you should not be insisting upon your own rights. 
that's where we begin. That's where we begin in light of our understanding of grace and repentance. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not discussing consequences. I'm not discussing the conversation that you may need to have afterward. I'm not talking about all of those things because those are other conversations. I am talking to you about you, the individual, because if we're going to begin talking about being merciful toward the offenses of others, then we need to begin with the condition of our hearts and our understanding of the mercy that we have received that we do not deserve. That's not being passive. That's being compassionate. That's being sorrowful. You see, because the opposite of being merciful is ultimately being callous. And some of you refuse to forgive others, maybe because of the justice you hold in your right hand, maybe because you feel like it's been too long, or for whatever reason that you have. When it comes to us and our understanding of mercy, the truth is that some of us are still incredibly and will be incredibly prideful, that you really are vindictive and that you are pushing your rights upon someone else rather than forgiving them, not addressing consequences yet, or not addressing consequences in this conversation. Some of your hearts, some of you in your hearts are incredibly callous and hardened and bitter. And I want you to listen to the words of David in, in Psalm 66, 18. He says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. What he is saying is, if he had cherished the hardening and the bitterness and the iniquity of his heart, if he had kept it all inside, God would not have listened to his prayer. Now you pick that up in Psalm 66, but you also see this in the story of God's people that many, on many, many occasions, God does not listen to the prayers of those whose hearts are bitter and angry and hardened and calloused, and not because they want to be broken, because they want their callousness and their hardness to continue to grow because of some right-handed side of justice or because of some really good bullet points that they might have. And it doesn't just apply to the people of the Bible. This applies to you. Now you can think about maybe someone or someone uh, or others that you may need to have a conversation with. Sure. Being merciful toward others isn't being passive. It is applying our understanding of grace and repentance. Some of you also have a really bad misinterpretation of what it means to be merciful because you will assume that if I'm merciful, then he must or she must be merciful back to me. That doesn't, that's not what it means. That's not what this verse means. If I forgive so-and-so, then they need to forgive me. That's not what this verse is saying. And when we interpret it that way, we are being self-centered, not gospel-centered. So when it comes to being merciful toward the offenses of others, by not having the conversation or not addressing it, are you really being merciful or are you just being prideful? Where would I encourage you? I would encourage you to repent. 
right? Forgiveness, so that you can understand forgiveness, forgiveness is a result of our repentance, right? We are not talking about consequences, rather the condition of our hearts toward others. That's what we're talking about right now. Today, some of you need to have those conversations. And there will be space in our time today where we can come before the Lord and repent of our sin, repent of our callousness, repent of our bitterness, and act upon that repentance. Number two, merciful in our reproval of others. So the first part of this, I think, will sound good. Not, not that I'm awesome. Anyway, whatever. I mean, I mean in the sense that it'll make sense. Give me grace, guys. Because <laughs> that's not what I meant. Merciful in our reproval of others. Okay? Here's, here's what I mean by this. As brothers and sisters in Christ, here, here is one of our roles. That we are to disciple one another by filling one another with the truths of the gospel. All right, would you agree? Right? Yeah. Cool. See, it sounds good. It's not me. It just sounds good. Another way of saying it is uh, that we are to exhort one another. Now, this is where I'll have to get a little bit more specific. Uh, another way of saying that, that we are to fill one another with the truth of the gospel, is that at times we are called to exhort one another. And what does that mean? It means that we come alongside of one another to address the issue, to address the sin, call one another to repent and, and, and move forward. But that requires sometimes a firm conversation. Doesn't mean it has to be harsh doesn't mean you got to be mean or rude, right? But it does require sometimes one of those, those firm conversations, right? Because you love your brother or sister so much that you are addressing this. Hey, we need to talk about this. This is sin. Man, I'm calling you to repent. You should. I love you. You have that whole thing. That, in a nutshell, is exhortation, right? Good. When it comes to being merciful in the reproval of others— and we look at exhortation, we say, yes, that's right, that's really good. Here's the problem, though, we don't do it. We don't do it. The problem is that we don't do it, and so instead of, uh, man, filling one another with the good news, one of three things happen. You fill one another with self-help, which is poor. You fill one another with good advice, that's not necessarily bad, but it's not the good news. And you fill one another up with nothing. Right? We back off and we're Christians and are like, hey, I'll pray for you. It doesn't mean anything unless you do it. And you could do it right in front of that individual, cool, or you could do it when you get whatever. Problem is that we don't do it. We don't exhort one another. So let me ask you, if someone is in sin and you don't exhort them as a brother or a sister, are you being merciful or are you just being prideful? See, now, some of us need to have those conversations, and that's okay. That's a good thing. That is a really good thing. Man, exhortation is a sign of maturity, especially when done well. 
especially when done well, coming alongside a brother or a sister and saying, hey man, let's look at this together. I think this is an issue. And I see you, I see you wrestling and failing. I see you wrestling with sin and failing often. What can I do? Number one, but number two, man, I'm calling you to repent, to fix your eyes on Jesus, man, because his grace meets you here because this is exactly what he died for. And this isn't who you are because of what Jesus has done. How many times do we have those conversations? In fact, I think much more in Christian circles, we uh, exalt calling each other out, but not really speaking the truth to one another. I mean, you might have spoken truth, cool, whatever, but there is no gospel in that. So you just gave good advice, but you didn't give good news. Right? Those would probably be the two areas that I would exhort us in here at Storehouse. Being merciful toward others' offenses and then being merciful in the reproval of others. And I get it. Sometimes you're like, man, I really don't want to have that conversation. But for such a time as this, God has placed you in that uh, scenario in that individual's life and uh, got to have that conversation. Doesn't mean you don't love them. It's because you love them that you want to address those things. And yes, it does matter how you approach it. It does matter. If you're like, well, that's not really me, then get some practice. Invite others, right? This is the meekness part. Invite others to speak into you regarding that. Some of you are so prideful that you're blinded and you need to repent. Our pride will only continue to harden our hearts. It only continues to um, allow them to get more bitter, to grow more callous, and to lean on our own understanding. And when that happens, we become further distant from God, His Word, and others. And when it comes to someone else exhorting us or discipling us and feeding us with the Word of the Gospel, it's like, yeah, that's good, but you should probably do it, not me. Right? You've just ruined it. Right? Even in, in, this, even in this scenario, if I'm talking about pride and you're like, yeah, man, I'm glad that's not me. No, that's you. Okay? You, you just jacked it. That's you. Okay? <clears throat> and here's, uh, here, here's what I... Here's where I'll, where I'll close. Right? And as a reminder, here, here's the thing. As we've been talking about mercy, right? throughout this entire time, throughout this entire time, we have not even talked about justice. Because that's not the point. Even in our understanding of grace, I'll go back up real quick before I close. Even in our understanding of grace, when it comes to specifically salvation, salvation isn't fair. Okay? Salvation is not fair. It is grace. That's what salvation is. Because you and I deserve. If we want to go that route, like, why don't you talk about justice? Then we need to start with first our understanding of who God is. Salvation is not fair. It is grace. If we want to embrace justice, then all of us here deserve condemnation and judgment. So we need to start there if we're going to be fair. 
Salvation is not fair. It is grace. And it is that grace that brings us to a place of repentance so that we see and fix our eyes upon Jesus. So if you're waiting for the talk on justice, we just had it. None of us, uh, man, if we belong to Jesus, Jesus has taken it for us. And here's what I would close with. I would close with uh, the unmerciful man. Not exactly the most encouraging, but the unmerciful man. Here's what I would say. One, we know from what we've just talked about that mercy doesn't come natural for us. It doesn't come natural for us. Thus, it means it is a working of the Holy Spirit in us. If we say we belong to Jesus, if we say we are followers of Jesus, if we say we are Christians, then let me encourage you by saying that that means that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you have submitted your life, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Being merciful is a working of the Holy Spirit. And it is a progression of everything that we've talked about, being poor in spirit, those who mourn. Remember, being poor in spirit is recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy, that we are empty. Being uh, mournful is that we mourn our sin and what our sin does. And as we do that, hopefully we grow in our meekness, not just in our self-evaluation on whether or not we are meek, but inviting others to speak into our life. And as that happens, we hunger and we thirst for the righteousness of God. And as we hunger and we thirst for the righteousness of God, inevitably we are merciful because we have obtained mercy in Christ. That's why they are blessed. Not because they were forgiven back by someone else. It is a working of the Holy Spirit in us. For the one who lacks mercy, he lacks an understanding of grace and repentance. The caution here is if you side on the place where you're like, man, I'm just not merciful. That's just not who I am. Either, well, it falls on both, but I would say it this way. Either repent right now of your pride, repent of your sins so that you would fix your eyes on Jesus and be encouraged by his word and his Holy Spirit, that would be one. Number two, do that again still, right? And the truth may be that if you're like, man, I'm just not merciful, then maybe you're outside the graces of God and you're really not a believer. Just because we're in church. Cool, I get it. These characteristics, these beatitudes are for all Christians and Christians display all of these. For the one who lacks mercy, he lacks an understanding of grace and repentance. To lack mercy is to lack a love for Christ. I pray that we are not like the people in Ephesus that Paul is talking about in 2 Timothy, where he says that they have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. The merciful are blessed because they have already received mercy in Christ. That while they were still, while you were still sinning, 
Christ died on a cross for the ungodly. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for, and I, and I, and I don't think that's enough, but uh, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Grace being something that we don't deserve that you give us, and mercy being something that we do deserve uh, and you don't give it to us. Lord, I pray in this time that, uh, man, we would grow to fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would not just reflect, but actually engage our repentance as we reflect on your mercy and your grace. That we didn't do anything to obtain it. We didn't do anything because we were awesome. You were solely motivated by your holiness, by your love and your grace and mercy that you've called us to yourself. And so God, I pray that we would, um, and I pray that we would praise you and make much of you as seen in your word. I pray that we would grow in our maturity and understanding of grace and repentance so that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus and less like ourselves and grow in our understanding of Jesus so that we would grow in our hatred for our sin. Holy Spirit, convict us, compel us, um, counsel us, and guide us. As we transition into a time of tithes and offerings, This is where we give you our stuff, God. This is where we recognize that, uh, we recognize a few things. We recognize the provision that you've given us. We recognize the work that you are doing in and through us in our church. We recognize that we are not tied down by what we think we uh, control. We recognize that this is a time to advance the mission, to advance your gospel, to expand your kingdom and not our own. May our hearts be generous, faithful, and cheerful. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.